Do you seem to care more about your organization's backup and recovery system than anybody else? This is the podcast for you. And we've got another great episode this week. Regular listeners hear me harp a lot about the security of their backup and recovery system. There's nothing more crucial to that than having a good identity authentication and authorization system. We've got an expert in identity orchestration here this week to help us understand this important concept. I learned a lot. I hope you will too. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me a guy who, honestly, I'm not sure why we're friends, uh, Prasanna Maliandi. Hey, now, what, what, what did I do this time? No, it's the whole, it's the whole movie thing. So, like, oh. you know, like how, how, like, you're so not like a person who goes to movies and I am so a person who goes to movies. I'm like, like, what do we even talk about? Well, Um, I think what ends up happening is you explain what goes on in movies. I sit there and listen to it with the plan of never going to go see the movie. So yeah. So you're watching, you're watching movies vicariously through me. Yeah. Um, And just to, just to illustrate just how much of a goofy movie fanatic I am. I am, as of a few minutes ago, I am now what some people are referring to as a Barbenheimer. Um, do, do you know what a Barbenheimer is, Persona? Nope. What's a Barbenheimer? So it is, uh, there is next weekend, or this weekend, there is the upcoming dual. Uh, we have two big movie premieres this weekend, both the Barbie movie, which when I first heard of it, I'm like, that does not sound like a movie that I want to watch. But based on the previews and the actors and whatnot, it's in it. I said, you know what, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see this movie. And also Oppenheimer, which I cannot think of a movie more opposite than uh, the Barbie movie the, uh, with Oppenheimer, which is the story of the the guy behind the creation of the atomic bomb. And they're saying that, you know, it's a three hour emotionally draining, according to reviews and whatnot. It's a three hour thing. What I wanted to do. And so and so Barbenheimers are those of us who have signed up to see these movies back to back. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Curtis. On on the release date. So I will be seeing the first showing of both of these movies in San Diego. I'll be seeing, so next Thursday, I'll be seeing the Barbie movie at 3 p.m. And based on its runtime, it should finish, you know, with credits, it should finish it at like, like including its, its the, the what do you call it? Not trailers, what, the, the credits, yeah. right? Including the trailers in the front and the credits in the back, it will finish at 5.20 p.m. And so if I take like five minutes off for, not watching the credits, I can then run over to the 5 p.m. showing um, of, of Oppenheimer, where the where the, the trailer should still be running, uh, and then I'll just find my seat. And what I want to know is, I want to see how many people do that. Uh, what I what but, I wanted but, to do was, I want go ahead, go ahead, please. I was I was wondering why you did it in that order rather than the reverse, given that 
That's that's what I was just about to say. I wanted to see Oppenheimer and then in tears go watch um, the Barbie movie. It is not possible. It reminds me, actually, so I live in Oceanside, California, and you have the Metrolink trains that go to L.A. and you have the, the, the uh, San Diego coaster that goes to San Diego. You can't take the trains either way. You can't. You can't get on a on a Metrolink train and then land and then get on a, a coaster train and go to San Diego um, because that they specifically put the time so that that doesn't work. And that's exactly what happened with Oppenheimer. Um, and also this way, I'm seeing the first showing of both. So I'm with, mm. you know, the true fans. Yes. You know, the true fans, uh, the true Barbie fans. I was just going to ask... So you are going by yourself. You're not taking your granddaughter. You're going by yourself. No, to, no. I'm going by myself to see to the, the Barbie, Barbie movie. movie. Uh-huh. Have okay. you seen any of the previews, though? I have not. I, 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 I don't think I would probably take Lily to go see it. Well, I would definitely not take Lily to go see it before I go see it first because okay. she's only 10. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's probably going to be some stuff in there that's not appropriate. Is it PG-13? I, I I think it might be. Okay. Um, I know it's not G. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's not G for sure. I don't even know if they make G movies anymore. But yeah, so this is what I'm talking about for those of us. Yeah, and the times just don't work out. So like if in order to see the Oppenheimer and then Barbie, you have to have this big um, gap delay in between yeah. the two. And you can use so. a delay, go eat dinner, take a nap. Well, you you know me. I'm probably I know you. Take a nap and yeah, movies. exactly. Killing um, me, Kurt. I'm going to bring our guest on today. He has been in the cybersecurity industry for over 25 years and is now the CEO of Strata Identity, an identity orchestration company. You can find them at Strata.io. Welcome to the pod, Eric Olden. Nice. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the conversation and. I'm looking forward to, to the movies as well. You, you got my interest peaked, and when and you were talking about the the mashup, Barben. was, yeah, Barbenheimer. It's it's got to be a one heck of a mashup. But I can't was Eric it. looking for tickets? Were you looking up tickets while Curtis and I were talking? <laughs> yeah, it's um, right now. If you get your tickets now, you you get your choice of seats, right? Um, although with Oppenheimer, it was pretty full. It was, uh, uh, but, um, and today I saw, actually saw Mission Impossible today. Or, I'm sorry, that was yesterday. Yesterday. I saw Mission Impossible yesterday. By the way, amazing movie. That guy. Uh, that movie's just over the top. Got to see that movie. And got to see it on a big screen. As big a screen as you can, I think. If, if there's ever a movie that's meant to be seen on a big screen, it's the Mission Impossible movie. Anyway, but you know what we have to start with, uh, Eric? Uh, is, is I need to know the story behind uh, Bought Not Sold. Ah, yes, <laughs> Bought Not Sold. Uh, Which is your, both your Twitter handle and your um, your LinkedIn identity. Yeah, and I own the, the domain, BoughtNotSold.com. <laughs> nice, so nice. The full set. Uh, so I guess the short of it is that, you know, I've been in uh, technology sales and software development and all that for over 25 years. And I've seen this kind of evolution of the way that, you know, people consume technology. And you think about that, people talk often about the consumerization of 
technology and the move to the cloud and things like that are accelerating that. But if you think about the experience that um, people go through when they're trying to solve a problem, I've yet to meet anyone who says, oh, please call me and sell me something. <laughs> but people need to buy things. And so right. if you flip that general relationship 180 degrees and you help people buy things and not sell things to them, it sounds like a semantic difference, but it's a world of difference when um, applied correctly, because um, you think about the whole process of figuring out a solution and you want to do your research and you're going to get onto Google and you're going to do all of the content and consume all of the videos and everything that goes into making a decision. And I like to think of setting things up so that people have a great experience going through that on their own and lead them to a conclusion, let them make a decision. And that's bought, not sold. Interesting. I like, I it. like it. Yeah. It, 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 having worked at some companies in the past, I think sometimes those companies, when they sell to enterprises, they would talk about sort of being like a trusted partner or a trusted advisor. But I like what you're talking about, Eric, which is going even beyond that and sort of allowing the end user to be that sort of self-sufficient, right? Find what they need, figure it out, go on the journey, but give them the information they need in order to come to that conclusion. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're exactly right, Prasanna. And, and on Strata.io, the website, um, for four years, we have not gated our content. So a lot of times people you say, oh, I'm interested. I want to read that white paper. I want to get this report. And I don't want to have that spam when I give my email or someone's going to harass me on the phone. Uh, instead, we just say, hey, look, the content, if it's good, is going to teach people and educate them. And educated people make decisions more quickly and they're more confident in their decision. Therefore, they spend more money and they, they you know, make a bigger investment. So um, I realize I'm giving away all my secrets here, guys. So, uh, but that's how it works in, in practice, though. Just let just give the good content out there. Don't have people uh, feel like they're obligated. Uh, and if it's really good content and you know what you're doing, uh, it should come through. And then people want to buy from the person that educates them and treats them the best. So that's kind of uh, applied. So I guess you would you would have a, a call to action, I suppose, in the content somewhere, basically saying, hey, if if you found this helpful, then then go here. Is that, is that the idea? Yeah, that's the idea. And, you know, we have a self-service product. So if someone says, oh, that seems cool. What is this identity orchestration thing? Let me try it out. And then a couple of clicks, you're in the product. Again, it's all free to start. And um, you can just see if it works. And if it does, you know, people love it. And, um, you know, it's been a nice way to align us with our customers and, and get the friction out of the way. So, but it's, it is pretty radical. When we bring in new uh, people on the sales team, we say, look, don't, uh, don't spam. We don't send unsolicited emails from marketing. People are like, well, how do you do it? You know, well, you be patient and they'll come to you if you, you know, build into this content model. And so uh, it, it has been great. It's been wonderful for us. We've been really happy with it. Yeah, no, I like that transparency aspect. Now, do you also provide transparency in pricing? Because I know some vendors, right, they're like, hey, by the way, if you need more information, give us your email address, right? Or call a person. Do you also provide sort of that transparency on your website? Yeah, all the pricing's right there. Give a little pricing calculator. 
And um, we take that even further, the whole idea of consumption-based pricing. I think that's another aspect of the bought, not sold concept is that if it works, you're going to buy more of it. So, yeah, I've always felt like when people are saying, hey, go, whatever the, the thing may be, you're buying something that costs a million dollars and you got to make a million dollar decision. That's more risky and stressful than if you say, hey, let's just do 10% of that $100,000 decision or 10,000, whatever is appropriate and let the product prove itself out and then people will use it more and the more they use it the more value they get out of it so the more willing they are to pay more for it and so everybody wins but it is a bit unusual it, it all uh, relies on that transparency yeah and I, I think that would also qualify would you call yourselves a plg company as well yeah we we, we do consider ourselves a hybrid because we okay. have the full self-service PLG front to end and you can do all of it without ever talking to us but we are in the enterprise so a lot of the stuff that we do there's more complexity and so people want to be able to um, get expert advice in kind of a consulting way and so we we offer that as well so it's a, a hybrid model and um, but it's all based on that whole bot not sold idea so you know our goal is to be no, no pushy anything because, um, you know, if it works, that that's the kind of this, what's the saying, the product will prove itself out and no product sells right. itself, but I think you can have the product prove itself out. And that I think is the, is a big win for everybody. Curtis, by the do way, you want... I, I have to, yeah, I was, I, I have to define PLG as product led growth which is a way to, to build a company. And uh, Persona, I, I bet you're gonna ask me about the, the disclaimer, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, throughout our usual disclaimer, uh, Persona and I work for different companies and uh, we're not representing either of them here. This is an independent podcast and uh, the opinions that you hear are ours. <clears throat> also, if you like us, rate us. If you hate us, don't rate us. Um, and um, the... Uh, uh, and then, um, uh, if you want to reach, if you want to be part of the conversation, just reach out to me at WC Preston on Twitter or, uh, W Curtis Preston at Gmail. And as of like two or three days ago, W dot Curtis Preston on threads. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I wish you all the best results over there, uh, at the, you know, the, the latest social media company. Uh, anyway, so Eric, um, uh, here's a really big question. What is identity orchestration? Yeah, great question. Um, identity orchestration is, uh, I'll kind of break those terms down. Identity management, which is the way that users access applications and data and everything that goes around that. And the orchestration side is think about automating, uh, different flows or multi-step uh, situations where this is uh, useful is in multi-cloud and the typical situation that we see is that an organization has a uh, on-premises private cloud they've got their data center they've been running for some time and they're at some point in their cloud journey where they've got one or more public clouds and when you've got different places where your workloads run you've got different identity providers or IDPs. So they're built into the cloud. So on Amazon, you have AWS Cognito. On Azure, you've got Azure Active Directory. On-premises, 
you've got things like Oracle and SiteMinder and uh, things of that type, Active Directory. So when you start to think about how do we make all of these things work together, that's where you need to do two things. One, integrate everything, and we call that an identity fabric. And you can think about that as an abstraction layer that makes everything work together. And the second part is the orchestration. So you think about what we've done in computing with Kubernetes and virtualization. Over time, you had more and more abstraction away from the hardware. So today we talk about containers and Kubernetes and moving into serverless, right? All of those are strata of abstraction. We applied that same thinking to identity management and said, look, instead of thinking about and being locked into any one identity provider, what if you can abstract them and then allow you to mix and match what identity systems make sense for your risk profile or your compliance or your uh, management requirements? So it's a brand new category. Um, we started this in 2019. We shipped a product, uh, our product's called Mavericks and uh, it's the first identity orchestration platform. And we think about building the VMware of identity and that's what uh, identity orchestration is. No, that's pretty awesome, especially given how complex some of these environments are and people wanting to not be locked in, right? That's one of the biggest challenges is once you start using like Microsoft from on-premises and you, you're like, oh, now I'll just use Azure, but maybe Azure isn't the best option for you. Maybe you do want to use AWS. Do you also help make it easy for people so they don't need to understand all the underlying complexities of say AWS or Azure and Active Directory instances there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the role of the abstraction layer. Uh, it, it integrates with all of the proprietary uh, APIs of the various systems and these application programming interfaces, the, the way that you communicate with software um, think about those in a metaphor of like they're all in different languages. Some are in Spanish, some are in Japanese, some are in um, uh, Korean. And instead of trying to learn all of these different languages, the abstraction layer is kind of a universal language translation so that it handles the translation of one thing into the other so that the application doesn't have to. And that means that the on the application side of the abstraction layer, what it's seeing is effectively a facade of what it expects to look at if it was originally communicating with Oracle, for instance, and you wanna switch out Oracle for Okta in the cloud. Well, the abstraction layer would have the application talking to it using whatever protocol is already working. So like things like uh, SAML or Security Assertion Markup Language and OpenID Connect or OIDC or some of the old school products that use cookies and um, HTTP headers. So all of these different ways that applications consume identity are universally managed by that abstraction layer. And why that's important is that you don't want to rewrite your application to have it work with a different identity provider because that's expensive, it takes a long time. And there's a lot of cases where you just can't do it because maybe it's a packaged application, you don't have the source code to. So this approach of identity orchestration allows you to swap out and mix and match the different identity providers on, under the covers without ever rewriting the application. 
So it's like NFS. Yeah, it's like for file storage, right? You had NFS as a protocol that anyone can switch out as long as the vendor was supporting NFS, you were all good to go. And just kind of going back and thinking, I know, Curtis, we were talking about movies earlier, right? It's kind of like what you guys have built is kind of like Babelfish for identity, right? It allows you to translate between various languages, right? And provide that same abstraction, regardless of what the underlying identity provider is. Yeah, which led to, which is leading to my question, but you, I, I had a question and then you said something that made my question even harder. So, <laughs> so it's, it's sort of two questions in one. One is, um, how would you contrast this to something like Okta, what Okta does? And then in the middle of like waiting to ask that question, you said you work with Okta, right? As an identity provider. Um, and so in that case, it would seem like there's multiple layers between the actual application and and the customer so so i was just a little so sorry there you go i don't know i'm sure there's a question in there somewhere well that's a perfect hybrid question from the barbenheimer uh yeah, from, the, from the barbenheimer <laughs> absolutely from the barbenheimer school of questioning yeah so um Identity providers are, um, there's a lot of good ones that are out there. Okta is a good one. Uh, Microsoft does great stuff with Azure, their Azure products, uh, Azure Active Directory. You've got new ones and you've got old ones, right? So those are new ones. Uh, things like Hyper is a different way to do passwordless authentication. And then you've got the old ones that are on-prem, typically the Oracles, the CAs, IBMs, and things like that. So um, what an identity fabric is, it's an agnostic vendor neutral way to make all of your infrastructure work okay. together, right? So we specialize in working with everybody so that our customers are free to choose whatever they want. And so we partner with all of the vendors. We have a really broad platform that integrates with all of the major technologies that are out there. And it's all in support of that no lock-in so the customers can say hey you know because one of the things that a lot of times uh identity shows up in in interesting ways is mergers and acquisitions and a very common situation where you could have one company who is a microsoft shop through and through they acquire another company that's an octa shop well identity isn't one of those things that you can just turn a switch on without some software right, right? And so you're going to have a challenge because you've got two different identity systems, two different vendors, and they weren't engineered to work with one another. So orchestration and the subtraction layer allows you to um, basically mix and match whatever you want. So your employees from the original company can use their uh, logins out of Azure, as well as the new employees from the acquired company, they can use their login on Okta and the abstraction layer brings the two of them together. So there, Curtis, that's why it's a new category called identity orchestration, not, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess, I guess again, because I don't live in that world, right? I, I was thinking this more like, like you said, like Okta being, an, they're an identity provider and you're abstracting that. And so people could, and I get, is it common for, customers to have multiple identity providers within, you know, obviously in an M&A situation, but I'm guessing there are other situations where they have an IDP that doesn't support 
an, a particular part of their environment and then you help solve that as well? Yeah, exactly. And so think about all of these proliferation of identity providers on-prem, in the cloud, uh, acquisitions, divestitures. So there's a lot of reasons why you're going to have more than one today. Um, and I think the, the way to think about it is similar to uh, virtualization. And, you know, Prasanna, we were talking earlier about Silicon Valley, and I grew up uh, driving on 101 from the South Bay to San Francisco, and I'd see all of the tech companies on my way to school. And what, um, over time, I mean, there was a point where the, the big hardware companies, you'd, the server wars of the 90s, and uh, these people like Dell, these people like Sun, other people like HP, When's the last time people talk about hardware? They don't because it's all now VMs and it's all cloud services. So that's an example of how abstraction works. And so you no longer need to think about whether you're running on uh, one hardware provider or the other. People just think about a higher level of the concept of computing and say, well, I've got a VM or I've got a container and it doesn't matter what hardware runs on. That's where identity is headed with orchestration is to say, look, stop thinking about which of the identity providers that you're using. Assume you're going to want to use more than one. And once you have that capability, you can just do whatever you want, right? You can just swap out different things for whatever use case that matters. So really helps with complexity, fragmentation, and a situation where you have many instead of one. Could you talk, and I think you kind of touched on it, could you talk about some of the issues customers face when they have multiple identity providers and sort of why they really need this identity orchestration? I know we talked about sort of being able to swap out things, but what about some of the issues that customers can run into by trying to manage multiple identity providers today? Yeah, a very common thing is coexistence. And we see this all the time where people have stuff that works on premises and they want to move to the cloud and they've got to have coexistence between the old and the new. So that's a pretty much everybody's got that problem. Uh, even if say you're using Microsoft on both ends, Active Directory on-prem does not work with Azure AD in the cloud, <laughs> marketing notwithstanding, right? But <laughs> the point is, is that you can, you have the situation all the time. Uh, another problem that people run into are in very specialized areas of identity. For instance, in uh, multi-factor authentication or MFA, where people want to use a certain kind of um, authentication that doesn't rely on passwords. Well, I think we've all seen the situation where maybe you're used to using your biometric on your phone and well, you leave your phone in the car, you still got to log into your, your site, but you can't use a password because that's not secure. So what do you do in that case? Well, that's actually a continuity resilience issue because if you're thinking about the person who needs to do their job, they got to get online, identity is a mission critical, if not one of the most important mission critical things because if identity and access management isn't in place, you need to fail closed, right? Can't let people in, otherwise it'd be chaos. So what you need to think about with multiple identity providers is, hey, what do we do in the event that our primary identity provider isn't available? 
how do we substitute that with a backup? And so that could be, for instance, uh, I don't have my phone with me, but I've got my key fob. And so if I'm presented with an option to say, hey, how do you want to authenticate? We don't use passwords here because they're not secure. We can give you a choice that your primary is your phone. And if you don't have your phone, your secondary could be this, you know, one of the FIDO keys that you plug into your, your computer. So these are examples of problems that people have. Resiliency and identity are actually very related. So uh, we see a lot of, a lot of that um, as, as problems. And I guess the last thing would be, say you've got a great technology like Passwordless and you wanna roll it out to all your applications and you've got hundreds of applications to do it to, well, you wouldn't be able to do it very quickly if you had to rewrite each of the applications to talk with this authentication mechanism. So with an abstraction layer, you don't change the apps, you just plug the authentication system into the fabric and everything that's talking to the fabric can connect with that without any coding or any uh, modification. So uh, a lot of problems, we call them recipes or use cases. And, um, but yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of different things that people are doing today. So uh, another question. Um, so how does this work then? <laughs> so I've got, let's say, Okta, right? And, and then you on top of Okta. And I want MFA. Um, so I'm interacting with you. I'm not interacting directly with Okta at this point, right? I'm interacting with your abstraction layer. So I want MFA and, and Okta is configured for MFA. Or how 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 does that work, right? Because we're not we're gonna we're not gonna do two MFAs. So how how do you make that happening? Yeah. So when you think about the the architecture that you need in multi cloud, it's very different than on prem. Very different than SaaS because uh, you need to be able to deploy this identity anywhere on any cloud, on premises, and in you know public clouds. And the way that we do it at Strata is through this distributed architecture. We think about it as an air gap and we have a component of software called, a, coincidentally, an orchestrator. And this orchestrator is acts like a server of sorts, can think of it as a proxy, um, but it does more than just proxying. And we built it from the ground up to work in this way. So think about this orchestrator as a enforcement point and it is programmed with policy. So it knows, for instance, in your example, Curtis, what kind of authentication am I going to use for this application? Is it gonna be Okta with a password or is it gonna be Okta's multi-factor authentication or somebody else's multi-factor authentication? Mm -hmm. So at runtime, when that user through their browser puts in the URL to get to that application, that traffic is intercepted through the orchestrator. So it's transparent. People don't know about Strata software. It's all under the covers behind the scenes. And so then that orchestrator sees this session coming in and says, ah, based on where you wanna go, I need to enforce this policy. I'm going to direct in real time, I'm gonna direct you over to this multi-factor authentication system. You're gonna then be prompted to do the face scan or something else. And then if that's successful, then the orchestrator says, okay, what's the next step I'm supposed to do? Um, you can program it to do a lot of different things, right? But to keep it simple, uh, maybe that's all you wanted to do is just the authentication. And then at that point, the orchestrator would say, 
you have a valid multi-factor authentication session. So I'm going to now allow you into the application. And um, that's kind of how it works. And you can so, distribute these orchestrators wherever you need to. So if I understand that correctly, what you're orchestrating is you're orchestrating me actually talking to Okta, right? So I'm still, I'm still, <clears throat> you know, like, um, so in the, I don't know how to put it. Like you said, you're invisible, right? And I'm still interacting and in this example, I'm still interacting with Okta. I'm doing MFA with Okta or password with Okta, whatever it is, you know, or both. Uh, but you're sort of pointing that and making that happen. I'm not, because I, I think a minute ago I had the idea where I was interacting with, with you, you're being my username and password or whatever it is that I'm using and my MFA, and then you were then passing that on to Okta. That doesn't sound like that was a correct understanding. Yeah, I, I think the way to, to think about it would be... Um... Like in a, in a music, the orchestrator, the, the conductor of an orchestrator, orchestra is going to tell the percussion, do this, the horns, do that. And uh, I don't know music that well, so let's do those two. <laughs> go here, go there, go here, go there. And, you know, that conductor is not the one playing the music. That is the conductor saying how the music needs to be played. The instruments are the ones that generate the sound and that conductor is simply saying, go here, then here, then here. That's the way to think about it. It's uh, really directing that user session in uh, runtime. So it is, um, it requires these IDPs, the identity provider. Right. It doesn't provide the identity itself. It's the conductor, not the instrument. And since you now have visibility about identity across the entire environment, do you, can you use this to figure out um, who has access to what resources? If there is a breach, how did people get in? Like, I'm sure that you can now do all sorts of interesting forensic cases based on being that single abstraction layer, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, you bring up a, a really important uh, area of orchestration. So what we've been talking about today up until now has been about the runtime orchestration. So what happens when the user's clicking on a link? And there's another part of orchestration that has to do with the policies or the rules that people set up to govern what needs to happen in order to access an application. And similar to the IDP fragmentation, the policies that are in these identity providers, they're all built in different uh, languages and syntax as well. And so um, if you wanna have your policy consistent across three different clouds, you would need to know how to program that one policy in three different APIs, three different cloud platforms and three different data models. It gets very confusing because you're going to be dealing with very quickly hundreds, if not thousands of these policies, because they, you know, just the nature of it, you have more, the more applications, more data you have, the more of these policies you need to think about. So what do you do? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a universal language that would define policy that would work and be translatable to your Babelfish example? What if we had Babelfish for policy? And uh, we helped at Strata, we helped create a new standard 
uh, called IDQL, stands for Identity Query Language. And we built a reference implementation in open source at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, the CNCF, which is the organization where Kubernetes and some of these other cloud native technologies lives. And what IDQL will do is policy orchestration. So imagine you've got two clouds, Azure and AWS. And let's say, for instance, you want to get your policies from Azure to be the same in AWS. Well, you can take this tool called Hexa, it's free, point it at the AWS and it'll discover policies that are in there because it's programmed to know the APIs. It'll pull out your policies and say, okay, I've got 3000 of them and this is what they are structured to do. Translates them from the imperative proprietary structure that they live in AWS and turns it into a generic uh, middle declarative language called IDQL, and it's a declarative representation, human readable, which is really handy for a lot of auditing use cases. You say, okay, great. Well, what am I going to do with this generic thing? Because I want to push it into um, Azure. And so Hexa can then say, okay, you want to translate it from generic to specific? No problem. I got that. And you just run that orchestration in the other direction. And what you end up with at the end is uh, two things. One is consistent policy in two places and a human readable, easy to audit way to categorize and inventory all your policies in this open, free IDQL standard. That's like awesome. A, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let me give you another scenario and you tell me <laughs> if you, uh, I mean, this is what happens, Eric, when you create a new product category. <laughs> so what about uh, the scenario of it's sort of two things, which there could be one solution or you could just go, no, that's not what we do. So I currently use Okta and I want to use what's the, the main Okta competitor. It's the, what? Microsoft Azure Active Directory. Uh, is it? I was thinking of like some other third party company, but it doesn't matter. I want to switch from Okta to Azure um, or I want to switch from Azure to Okta. Or the scenario that you laid out earlier, uh, we just acquired a company and one of us is Azure and one of us is Okta, and we want to go to one of those, right? Uh, how, how do you, or do you help with that transition? Yeah, a very common use case is uh, modernization. So yes, you can go from two modern ones, like Okta and Azure AD are both cutting edge, modern. Um, but often when you look at the enterprise, they've got stuff that's been running for like 5, 10, 25 years. And they're saying, well, geez, this thing was built years and decades before things like authentication or passwordless and all that came out. So how do we modernize it? How do we get the applications that are used to working on prem and going to a legacy system? How do we make that work with the new cloud stuff? And so that modernization recipe or that use case, uh, the way that you do that is you uh, really quickly, you would connect your two legacy or your legacy IDP into the fabric and your cloud one into the fabric. And those don't require code. It's just kind of plug and play. So now you've got two IDPs. Then you tell the orchestrator, this is the application. Today, it's going to um, the old system. 
and we want to switch that to talk to the new system, then you configure that orchestrator to say, look, when a user logs in, direct them to the cloud system. And if that cloud system is using a different protocol than the old system, the orchestrator, for instance, let's say that the new system uses SAML or federated single sign-on with security assertion markup language, mm -hmm. and the old one is using old school cookies. Well, the orchestrator would say, okay, I need to talk to Azure AD using SAML, and I'm gonna do that flow, the, the kind of exchange of the identity information with Azure, and then when I come back and that user is authenticated, I will uh, create a session to that application that looks just like that old school one that uses cookies. And you can basically, I don't wanna say trick, cause you know, it's not like nefarious or anything like that, but the facade aspect of the abstraction layer always presents what the application's already expecting. In this example, a cookie or something like that. And so when the user comes through, they don't see any of that. They just go to the website and it's like, hey, I'm uh, going into the same maybe sign-on portal, but under the covers, I actually got authenticated against the new thing, not the old thing, and everything works and it's seamless. And are you are you moving or copying like identities from one to the other? Um, or is that still up to the customer? Yeah, okay. it, it's generally up to the customer. You can, but generally we find people have these systems already set up. That said, there's a use case that a lot of people like about uh, just in time or JIT provision. Yeah. So let's say going into that modernization thing, we've got a million accounts on-prem in an Oracle system, and we wanna move all of those accounts into the cloud system. And what the orchestrator can do when the user comes in it can verify that user, maybe it's most likely an old system is gonna be a password. It'll verify that user's password and user ID against Oracle. If that's successful, then that orchestrator will say, ah, I've been programmed to go create a new account for you. And I'm gonna to talk to the Azure AD, for instance. I'm gonna create a new account for Eric. I know the user ID, cause I just verified it. And I'm gonna say this user ID is um, now we created an account in the cloud and you can even you know securely get that password into that uh, target system. And so then the next time the user comes in, the orchestrator can flag that user and say, wait a minute, you've already been migrated. So I'm not gonna go through that same steps. I'm gonna just push point you over to the cloud system. And now that user the same username and password are gonna work in the cloud system. And the nice thing about just-in-time is that you don't have this big bang. And what happens is it's a lot more gradual. And so you don't have yeah. those crazy weekends where you're like, oh, we're gonna do a hard switch over. It's just let it run for typically 90 days. You'll get the majority of your users over there. And then for the ones that haven't moved, you can, you can batch them and get them over there and have them go through like a, a account verification so you don't have dormant account risk or you minimize it, I should say. Yeah. yeah, based on your answer, I think your answer to my question is actually yes. You just don't do them in mass. You do that, you 
you bring the the user over when they authenticate with the system. That's I right. I think is what, what I heard you say. Okay. All it's right. optional is, is right. what I was trying to say. You, you don't gotcha. have to, but if you want to, this is the way we would recommend it. Gotcha. Well, we're, we're kind of running short on time today, Eric. Is there anything that you didn't get to talk about that you'd like to talk about in our last few minutes together? Uh, well, you know, this has been a great conversation. I think, you know, if, if this is interesting to the audience, um, they could find out more about our uh, platform at strata.io. And um, we also have a fun thing. We like to, we call it the identity orchestration challenge, the use case challenge. So um, check out our website at strata.io slash podcast. And if you throw a use case to us, just find the hardest one that you think we couldn't solve. And um, we'd love to demo it for you. Here's how it works. And I'll give you a pair of the Apple AirPod Pro, the ones that go in the ear. I don't know the names exactly, but uh, <laughs> AirPod Pro, I think is what it's called. Yeah, that's the ones, and yeah. The good ones. And um, yeah, so just check it out. We'll show you how it works. And we'd love to, uh, to have a conversation with you. So, uh, I, I, does anybody still use NIS? You remember NIS? The name? Na naming Information Service. Yeah. Does anybody still use that? Uh, yeah, I bet. You know, in the big enterprise, is NetWare that's still running around, I'm sure. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I just, that, was, that was what we used back in the, back in the day, was it? Uh, yes. Even, that, that's even before your time, Persona, I think. It is. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks, th thanks, Persona, for uh, hanging out. Good questions again. Yeah, I try, I try. And Eric, it's nice to meet you. And Curtis, I do want to hear about the Barbenheimer. So Barbenheimer, yes, absolutely. Well, you know me; you will hear about it. Yes, I will. Uh, hear and um, and thanks, Eric, for coming on. Thanks so much. I had a great time. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks again to our listeners. We'd be nothing without you. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all.
it'll be completely done. Maybe